Cooking with Chopsticks. The truth about dictatorships. A podcast with Chin Li Wen and Marcel Chan. Hello, Li Wen. We are back. Hello, Marcel. Nice to be back. Well, today we decided to talk about a very current subject, always a bit underrated in international media, at least in Europe, I see, I, th I think, but um, it is a very, very hot topic. It's Taiwan, the relations between China and, uh, and Taiwan and uh, the impact on geostrategy involving the US, involving the European Union. Uh, Japan, of course. So it's a, it's, it's a hot topic. I remember going to Taiwan. Taiwan was actually my first encounter with Chinese culture in Asia. Well, no, that's not true. That was Hong Kong in 2004. Anyway, a longer stay. Six weeks we've been to uh, Taipei in, in 2006. And the image I had of Taiwan was actually very much affected by the stamp on every consumer good saying made in Taiwan in the 1980s. And then first time going to Taiwan, like 20 years later, I was really astonished how modern Taiwan was and was not actually that industrialized place, what it seemed to be by that stamp made in Taiwan. It was just a lovely place to be. And from there, we actually went to Beijing the first time to Beijing before we moved there finally. And it was that was a real cultural clash that was a big big difference i was influenced by the weather of course it was cold in beijing the air pollution was really bad in beijing and that influenced our mood um, but it was the first time we had a tour we, we, we had an immediate comparison between taiwanese and mainland chinese mentality that was really interesting to see how would you describe this difference in mentality well You realized, we realized that in mainland China, the core values are not like common sense. I felt like in, in Taiwan, there, there, was a, there was a common sense that was pointing towards a, a development within its society. There were forces trying to balance out things within the society. Um, while in mainland China, you realize that the striving for wealth was the central argument for everything, basically, and that the lack of common sense in certain things, you know, you would not take care of someone next to you because it's you wouldn't be bothered by it. And I, I felt that was a real difference. So I, my conclusion was that the impact of an authoritarian system that teaches you seven decades to, to really think of yourself first, take care of your survival, take care of what you say, you know, focus on yourself, don't watch left and right just to be safe in that environment. That is the real difference to a country that has been autocratic in the first place as well, but then changed to democratic values and became a, a solid democracy. So this is really an impact, I, I realized, seven decades of autocracy. What is your stance on that? What do you think is the difference between Taiwanese and Chinese mentality? Or mainland Chinese. Of course, I, I agree with you that among Taiwanese, there is a kind of common values that, that fits with the democratic world's common values. And in mainland China, that is a jungle of survival in this dictatorship. So we do have this strong feeling that in Taiwan, everyone was more polite when we were there in 2011, because we were invited by Taiwan Member of Parliament candidate Gao Jing Sumei, who was also a famous actress. And it was very impressive to see 
for me, for the first time as a Chinese, to witness Chinese actively participating in a democratic election. It's very local. They have to drink a lot with local <laughs> people. They really drink a lot. It's incredible. And Gao Jingsu Mei herself has got liver cancer before, and she still drink. Oh. <laughs> that is that is, that is part dedication, of the, isn't it? That is the tradition of Chinese society. It's kind of localized to democracy, right? Mm. But it's functioning in a way. So you don't see violence. Uh, you do see fight on the newspaper and also on TV uh, in the parliament. Yeah, people do fight with each other, pulling hairs and and pulling off each other's shoes and kicking and beating. But it's a kind of show that they enjoy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's farcical, but but somehow it worked. Of course, I realized that Taiwan's identity at that time in 2011 was still leaning towards the word China. And what surprises me nowadays is that, as you said, the Taiwan's issue has been greatly underreported undernoticed in Europe. And one of, among them, there is a news about Taiwan recently have issued a new version of passport. They redesigned it and they enlarged the word Taiwan on the cover and remove Republic of China on its cover. You know, so they reduced this confusion with the People's Republic of China. It's all Zhongguo, yeah? mm. China, Zhonghua. So It's actually a very significant move. It's very courageous to declare a new position in cultural identity. Where does it all lead to? What is your what is your impression? For for many decades actually we were like in the in the middle position between declaring independence on the one side and unify with the People's Republic on the other side. And politicians found a way in the middle to go through it and These are steps are provocative towards the Beijing government. Are we facing necessarily a military conflict or will there be any way out? I think the Taiwanese have no choice. This is a historic moment for them. I mean, it's a historical moment for many countries in the world in different aspects. But for Taiwan, this is their life and death moment. Taiwan Kuomintang, the nationalist government, was the ruler of China before Communist Party. They were kicked out of China by the Communist Party. But still, after 1949, after the founding of People's Republic China, Taiwan sat in the United Nations until 1971. So that's like 22 years, right? They were still representing China. But in 1971, finally, the mainland, meaning the Communist Party government, has managed to kick Taiwan out of United Nations and represent the concept China. Since then, President Nixon from the United States visited China. They established diplomatic ties officially. That somehow has created an incredible dilemma among the international communities. Somehow... They gradually all have to acknowledge that Communist Party's government is the representation of China. But they have to deal with Taiwan in a way that is not a government, but still a government. 
I mean, if you look at it, because we grow up in these concepts, so, so we somehow take it for granted. But if you look at it, this is very special. It's, it's, it's like a, an exiled government. And the functioning ruling government is kind of competing for the identity to represent China all over the world. For example, mainland China does not allow any other country to call Taiwan a country. But around the world, for many decades, Taiwan government and mainland government were competing in Africa, South America, Pacific Island countries to get their acknowledgement. So they were dumping a lot of money, financial aids to these countries to compete for their, how to say, choosing the camps. So some country would still acknowledge Taiwan as a country. But gradually, more and more of them chose the communist government as the legal representative of China, simply because it has more money to offer. Yeah, we're down to 15 countries, I think, worldwide now, right? <laughs> yes. And I, I, I didn't look it up especially, but I think it's countries like, uh, I don't want to say something wrong, but it's probably some Caribbean islands or something, you know, these kind of countries, they really don't make an impact anymore in the world. So still, Germany is a good example for that. You know, in the European Union, it is officially not allowed to welcome Taiwan officials so if you're um, if you're in office in Taiwan you cannot come to Europe still there is these uh, parliamentary groups that uh, we established in Germany in 1989 uh, with Taiwanese group to keep or to stay in a dialogue with Taiwan at least but anyway the official stance that was mentioned by Germany or clarified by Germany was 2008 by the, our foreign minister back then Frank-Walter Steinmeier I think his words were like uh, we support the one China policy which integrates Tibet and Taiwan. That was actually a response from the German side to balance out the conflict with the People's Republic of China that has been ignited by the visit of the Dalai Lama 2007 in the, in the Chancellery in Germany. Uh, and that followed an outrage in Taiwan because people said, you leave us alone, basically, uh, and to put us on the same, on the same level with Tibet. Is, is something really like very painful for Taiwan. And it just showed how the development worldwide is and the situation for Taiwan is getting more and more difficult. On the other hand, the US side actually confirmed support for Taiwan just recently, I think, right? Um, with the, they, they, they declassified the six insurances that had been that had been made in the 1980s towards from the from the Reagan administration towards Taiwan and still have not been resolved. So six insurances like uh, selling selling weapons to to Taiwan and uh, basically well uh, assure Taiwan of its support in this in this conflict with with if, China if if there is a war yeah if there is a war and and uh, just recently there was military fighters 66 of them F16 jets were were sold to Taipei from the T Trump administration yeah, China's claim was uh, you interfere in China matters with this sort. But basically, the Trump administration just supported its six assurances and supports Taiwan. Yeah. What I want to say, again, all these movement actions is, sh is showing that, that Taiwan is facing a moment of historical decision. And this one China policy is something that has created very exceptional dilemma for the international society and also for Taiwan. Because Taiwan knows that this one China policy in the end would never mean nowadays, would never mean that Taiwan would conquer the mainland again. You know, it will not be able to do so. It was a dream of the exiled Kuomintang government. But 
everybody in this generation knows that this is impossible. So Taiwan has to seek a different way out. But if they keep the status quo, and if they keep this one China policy, then the only outcome would be that Taiwan will become part of mainland China. And that means democracy will die because they have seen it in the recent democratic movement in Hong Kong. So Hong Kong gave them this warning, this last kick to make up the mind and make up the decision that we don't want to be part of China anymore. Like culturally, maybe they still, you know, identify with China, but then politically, they have their own identity. They want to declare that. And, and they, I think we are just one step away from the last declaration of this. And in the survey in the past year, majority of the younger generation don't think they are Chinese. They think they're Taiwanese. So there's no way back. I mean, unless mainland China, the communist government, conquered Taiwan by force. Mm. To pick up on that, there was a recent, well, three years ago or something, there was that uh, survey. And the question, when, when both Taiwan and China practice democracy, Taiwan should unify with China. That was like the thesis. And 44% of the people um, asked denied actually that, um, that idea of unifying with China, although China in this case would practice democracy. So it actually supports what you say, right? That people start to, to identify as Taiwanese and not anymore as mainland Chinese. Especially the young generation, the young people. Yes. Because, I mean, the older generation was still bearing, clinging to this uh, bond, emotional bond with the mainland China. Many of them still bear the memory of their parents who were kicked out of China or choosing to go to Taiwan when the Communist Party occupied mainland. So nowadays, younger generation don't have that kind of bond, deep feelings anymore towards the mainland. And now they have Hong Kong as a as a very bad example of what's going on. I mean, for the as you say, for the for the Taiwanese people, it should be a wake up call um, to see what happens if you agree on a one country two system yeah. solution. Deng Xiaoping's promise, right? One country two system, setting up Hong Kong as a role model. After taking over of Hong Kong, Hong Kong will be able to keep its own democratic legal system for 50 years. That's what the promise. And yeah. now it's how many years? It's already gone. Not even half, yeah. What happens in Taiwan right now is that there's uh, civil movements, civil uh, activities to support young democracy uh, supporters from Hong Kong coming over to or fleeing over to Taiwan and support them with bureaucracy because there is no officially no asylum in Taiwan. So um, there's a new law on the way, but uh, it takes time. And to show that not only a civil support, Taiwanese government established a new office, the Commission for Continental Affairs. So this is a an, an, an governmental uh, institution And uh, when they opened this office, it's uh, one of the representatives said, it shows how much importance Taiwan puts on democratic and liberal values of Hong Kong. And that actually reflects on Taiwan itself. And I, I, it, it sends a very strong message to the people in Taiwan. Yeah, I think the current president, uh, President Tsai of Taiwan, is a very courageous woman. And she has been very clear from the very beginning of this uh, stronger stance 
we are Taiwanese. And so she was kind of treated by Beijing with a very hostile attitude. And she knew that from the very beginning. Initially, the, the former nationalist government, which is the pro-mainland government, still had quite some supporters. But after the Taiwanese have seen how Beijing treat Hong Kong democratic movement, they lost all the hope and they voted for Tsai, President Tsai, with a landslide victory. And that is, of course, a personal factor in this uh, because we know that the Taiwanese don't want a war. They worry about war. They know they would be defeated easily if mainland China launched a war against them due to any misunderstanding that Taiwan wants to declare independence. But now it seems they have made up their mind to risk it a bit, to risk it simply say we go further and further away from this one China concept with such a strong leader like Tsai Ing-wen, we could get out of this loop of, you know, finally being sucked in by mainland China again, despite the risks, you know, despite the risks, they know the risks. Well, towards independence, it was uh, Taiwan's foreign minister, Joseph Wu, who um, who actually eluded the question for, for the declaration of independence when he was asked. No, they for, don't he, dare to. Yeah. Right. And he says, he says, you know what, well, we have an own, his, his, his stance is we have an, an own foreign policy. We have an own currency. Um, we have democratic elected president and parliamentary. So we live independence. This is the status quo. This is what he said. But he also said they are very clear. China aims or the Chinese, the People's Republic of, of China's government aims to destroy Taiwanese democracy. And the Chinese side, the mainland side, makes clear by their rhetoric that it's getting more serious on it. There was at the at the last People's Congress, when he was talking about the reunification or the, the aim for reunification with Taiwan, he actually reiterated the same phrases here. They always do, basically. But in this case, this year, he, he, uh, he skipped the word peaceful. So instead of emphasizing that they aiming a peaceful reunification with Taiwan, now no peaceful anymore. And that opens up a lot of, well, yeah, room for speculation. This is something that worries me deeply. I don't know how many people realize that European Union is witnessing dictator country, I mean, also totally totalitarian country, systematically destroying democracy in its own territory and claimed territory. In Hong Kong, the European Union did nothing except some criticism. And then in Taiwan, it's very, very clear now that mainland China is planning a war. Many people still refuse to believe this. They refuse to, to face the reality. And also they don't really care, I think, because not many people have any connection with Taiwan or with the democracy there. It's actually a wonderful democracy built up by Chinese itself, a something that gave many Chinese the hope that even in the Chinese culture, we can establish a democracy, a modern, yes. prosperous democracy. So it's a living example yeah. of that. Opponents of that idea always saying, oh, no, too many people and the Chinese, like Jackie Chan, the, the actor from Hong Kong, saying, saying publicly, no, no, we need control because look at us, we really need control. Yeah. That is, that is why I'm so worried that, that this democracy will be killed. And if you read a report from Bloomberg recently, it was published on 7th of October, it said, here's what could happen if China invaded Taiwan. 
the report has very specifically analyzed mainland China's the the People's Republic of China's Army (PLA), People's Liberation Army's strategy, step by step. How will China conquer Taiwan? And they already have a lot of deployment of armies and and navies strategy that is all out there, openly discussed by Chinese military experts and. Representatives and what is actually very very obvious now you can see that a Chinese military training complex was built in Inner Mongolia, shown in the satellite image taken on September twenty ninth, is a full scale replicas of targets such as Taiwan's presidential office building. So they are already. Rehearsing how to conquer Taiwan's presidential office building on the land, and what is European Union doing? Nothing, of course. Business as usual. We don't want to interfere inner affair of Chinese people. But Taiwan has its own functioning government for such a long time. Well, at least we have the Czech, the Czech、uh, Senate representative,、uh, right? They, the 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 delegation who visited Taiwan and said, "I am," I he said, "I am Taiwanese." And、uh, well, well, at least there's little there's little seeds in in the European Union.、Um, obviously, more and more aware of that problem. What do you think? What time scale are we talking about when the Chinese government already is rehearsing an attack? I think this U.S. election, U.S. presidential election, is crucial in deciding the time frame because Trump administration is definitely very hawkish on this issue. Although many people would also say that that Trump is just blowing hot air because he has announced that he will do a lot of things against China, but in the end they were all half done, which is true, and so it's hard. To imagine, but still, because of this this aggressive attitude of Trump towards the South China Sea and、uh, Taiwan issues, I think at the moment the Chinese government is still kind of hesitant in it in deciding the launching of a war. But like, if Biden is elected, who has a milder stance in these regional conflict issues like South China Sea and Taiwan. Then maybe that would hurry the process. I know when I say this, many people would get immediately angry at me, but this is obviously true if you go into the mind of the decision makers in China. It's very easy to make a judgment. What do you think? How would the Japanese side react? I think that the Japanese would feel very uneasy about it. Japan has been disillusioned. By of by the experience in the past decades, they were hoping that they could build a new relationship with China after the World War Two, that they could somehow become a friendly neighbor, because I, anyway, China is big. They they know that it's a powerful neighbor that they should not offend in any way, but gradually they were disillusioned by. All these diplomatic conflicts and intentionally instigated anti-Japanese sentiments. So they knew they have very good intelligence and they have very immediate interests there. So they know that there's no chance that there would be a sort of new relationship with China 
in a stable and safe and friendly way. So that's why Japan started to pull out its manufacturing industry from mainland China. The government is paying Japanese companies to resettle in other countries to move out of China. And when it comes to Taiwan, I think they would show sympathy and support. But it will be also difficult for them because they don't have a strong navy to help Taiwan. The military capacity is not there. Yeah. Why is Taiwan so important for the Chinese government? I mean, we have the South China Sea and China actually grabs um, grabs the whole South China Sea for itself to, to secure uh, economic routes, uh, shipping routes and stuff. Uh, and uh, to establish military bases. Taiwan is supported by the US. And yeah, maybe you could argue, well, you don't want to have US influence too close to your own coast. But still, the US is anyway in Okinawa, very, very close to the Chinese mainland, 700 kilometers just away, uh, Japanese island, and have a, a huge air base there or a military base. So... The, the repercussions for attacking Taiwan would be horrible for Beijing, probably. In, in image, in reputation, probably sanctions from a lot of industrial or economic zones in the world, including the, the European Union, I think, even. Why do they put it on the table? Why don't they just let it be like the status quo, like it is? Why do they want to force it now? Why is it so important for them? Mm, I think the question should start with Hong Kong, right? I think it is because they know they are losing the hearts of this younger generation of the Taiwanese. There are several aspects to think about it. Separation movement is never tolerated by any government. If I want to be really in the middle ground, I, I would have to say that if considered part of your territory, there is a separation movement, then any government would take action against it. This is one thing. The other thing, of course, for, for China to consider is that uh, Hong Kong in the past and Taiwan at the moment is an ideological threat. It's always an ideological threat to the China model because people can see how wonderful Taiwan is to live there as a citizen, you know, in a rule of law society with a democracy that they build by themselves with fierce fight against the former autocratic government of the Nationalists' Party. In the past decades, every year whenever Taiwan has an election, the mainland media would cover it with such intense interest, not only the official media, but like independent media in China. Mm -hmm. That is because in mainland, a lot of people are still curious about democracy, like what right. if us Chinese have a democracy? So that part is what the mainland government cannot tolerate. And, and this pandemic somehow, and, and the, the democratic movement in Hong Kong somehow just kind of radicalized the position on both camps. And um, as you say, it's, it's uh, indeed Taiwan is a, is a beautiful democracy. Beautiful because it has developed from an autocratic system under Chiang Kai-shek till the 80s, actually, and then established by itself, right? Like, like it's in a reformation process. It established this democratic values. And it seems from the outside that it's really well accepted in Taiwan. And, um, and not only that, Taiwan is a very 
modern and progressive society. You have, for more than a year now, you have, for example, marriage for all in Taiwan. It's the first Asian country, or even, is it worldwide? I'm not sure but uh, what the status is. We have marriage for, for gay couples in Germany as well. But marriage for all in, in Taiwan, this is very, very progressive for, for Asia. And then look at Audrey, Audrey Tang, for example, who is the digital minister, a female minister, but apparently she's transgender. And it's well accepted, you know, so... I think for an Asian society, Taiwan is, is extremely progressive and moving forward in terms of these modern developments in, in society. It's, it's astonishing to see. And so it's, it's even more worth to, well, it's generally worth to sustain a democracy anywhere in the world. Taiwan is not just simply like, give it a shot, let's see what happens if we try some democracy. No, it's a political system which has a common sense for, for minorities And it's astonishing to see how this place has developed within the last years. And it's, uh, as you see also in, uh, in the corona crisis now, it was a role model for a lot of other countries. They handled the coronavirus brilliantly. They did a really good job by transparency in the first place. They got a great support in the civil population. And, well, the outcome was good results in infections and uh, a low number in, in deaths. Yeah, so you you can see if you if you do it the Taiwanese way, it's worth copying a lot of these features. Yeah, that's what I said. Taiwan is constantly posing a threat, a challenge to the Chinese Communist government, saying like ideological propaganda that in China, in a big country, in Chinese community, only dictatorship or totalitarian system would work. Or that, that mainland China has democracy, it's a special type of democracy, and this democracy is the best for Chinese, which is not true because Taiwan is proving all the time that even with a very traditional Chinese culture. Taiwan has kept the traditional Chinese culture more than in mainland in many aspects. That democracy could function so well. So this is, I think, something that challenges Beijing all the time. And that is why they cannot tolerate Taiwan. So let's see with the new U.S. administration, if there is a new U.S. administration, how we'll see how that affects uh, the region. And um, yeah, it's... Uh, Again, it's a very exciting times ahead. What do you think about European unions? Um, if there is a war, I, I would say if there is, not if there were, because it's highly likely. How would the European Union respond to that? I think there would be, a, of course, a very strong condemnation in the first place. And I think that they would try to balance out their economical interests, of course, with, with a certain demand in the European population demands for for sanctions towards China. I think they, they really have to comply to that demand. China's image or reputation in, in the world declined extremely within the last six months, especially because of the corona handling and, and stuff. And, um, and if they really go on war, if they conquer Taiwan in a military way, um, the ressentiments towards China would just grow and would make it even more difficult for European politics um, to, to justify yeah, like an appeasement mentality towards China. I think population would really demand uh, sanctions. And there is a growing number of politicians coming out demanding a, a stronger stance. I don't know how far they would go because there is still 
a share, especially driven by economical interests in Europe and also especially in Germany, for example, the car industry, who rather turn a blind eye to Taiwan than uh, to, to omit revenues in China or to face repercussions for political partisan position. So I think we will have sanctions towards China in this case, but it will be balanced out with urgently and loudly formulated economical interests from, from, from the industry, from Germany especially, but also from other European countries. Yeah, I worry about that, of course, because sanctions never really work that well. And also with European Union's business leaders are so unwilling to do anything to reduce their dependence on Chinese markets. I somehow just think everything will be quite... I'm very pessimistic about this whole thing, really. But that is, of course, that is, that is the time we are living in. This is history that we are witnessing. Yeah, it is, it is exciting on the one hand. On the other hand, it's, uh, it's uh, kind of scary, right? Let's finish it for today. And uh, I suggest hear you soon. Yes, hear you Thank soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. with chopsticks the truth about dictatorships a podcast with Chin Li Wen and Marcel Chan. Chopsticks